Hello, world, and welcome to another fun, fun episode of Here's a Guy. Um, I'm Alex, coming to you from St. Louis, as always. Um, I'm also joined by, uh, well, by two people this week, one of whom is my older brother, Cody, coming to us from Illinois. Cody, what's up? Not a whole lot. Um, work is starting to slow down. We're done with uh, high school basketball, finally, which means I'm not gone three or four nights a week, and we have to work around, you know, what night I'm available, which is good to not feel like a deadbeat podcast host, if such a thing exists. Yeah, you know, take I think, a... uh, I think that's partially the definition of a podcast host. Yeah, you that's have to true. be a deadbeat. <laughs> uh, we're also you joined by... Say... The voice that you just—it's okay. The voice that you just heard, who happens to be our good friend Pookie, making his third appearance on the show. Um, you may remember him from episodes. I don't remember the numbers because I forgot to look. But um, he's been on twice, and I'm sure you remember those episodes. Um, uh, episode nine. Nine was one of which them, which was our Christmas crossover, and I think Brown Alert was thirty-three. Yes, maybe? sure was, and I know that because I listened to it yesterday <laughs> to remind myself how to act on your show. Well, yeah, last time uh, the topic that I presented to you was uh, 100% scatological. So, um, yeah, that's the kind of standards that we operate on here at Here's a Guy. But we're happy to have Pookie back while Jack John continues his parental leave. Um, what's been on, going on with you? How, how are you doing? I, I'm doing well. Um, I survived another retail holiday season, yeah. um, which is good. Good. I don't know. I haven't decided if it's good or not yet. Um, yeah, I, in 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 my particular set of the retail world, um, January is a very very slow time, mm -hmm. which is nice. But there's a little bit of kind of like a whiplash. I mean, I guess we're recording in March now, so it's a little bit of old news. But you know, it's it's go 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 craziness, and then all of a sudden, I'm seeing ten fucking people in the store a day. And it gets kind of boring. So, yeah, so, since the last time you were on, I have seen you. Um, mm -hmm. do, do you have any uh, five months later uh, anecdotes from when you came to, to visit St. Louis that you wanted to, to recall? We had a nice day. We did. It was a really good day. We went, went out to Slam and uh, went out to Urban Chestnut. Um, I am I'm a little ashamed to admit that for a really, really long time, I thought that the film franchise that you hated, <laughs> like, like with a vehement passion, mm -hmm. um, now you see me, was actually the movie Catch Me If You Can, like the Leonardo DiCaprio <laughs> flick. Mm -hmm. I was just like, I mean, like it, it wasn't, it wasn't great, but I don't know that it was like that bad. I, I seem to remember <laughs> this coming up. Um, and that is a funny misconception. I guess the titles have similar naming conventions. Um, but no, I, I actually like Catch Me If You Can. Randomly, I actually, Sarah and I watched that about a month ago. Um, but no, that's a good, that's a nice, you know, fun, relaxing, like Sunday afternoon kind of movie. Um, as opposed to Now You See Me, which I hate with every fiber of my being. Um, the ending of Catch Me If You Can did not uh, piss me off so bad that I've been uh, mad about it for a decade in a row. We are coming up on the 10th anniversary of that event. I don't remember what time of year it was, but it is the 2013 like film. A, now you see. Are you going to get like a commemorative tattoo or something? 
what I what I might do since since you shitheads got me um, copies of the DVDs of both the original and the sequel. As I said at the time, I may just have to go back and review these things, but I'm not doing it for free. We're paywall on that shit if we do it. I that is a promise. Yeah. But I will I, uh, make it worth I, your while. I know and understand your hatred because there is there's a person out there that I hate as much as you hate now you see me. Is it Jack John? Uh well <laughs> Um are you guys familiar with the uh like the pop radio station host Zach Sang and his gang? No. The so it's name like, is familiar. I've never heard anything. I mean, he he's sounds just, like a dick, right off the bat. He's just like a a radio like like DJ guy, like a radio host. He, his show is like national. He plays on all the like top forty stations, and I I don't know why, but I get actually physically angry. <laughs> <laughs> when I hear his voice, Kelsey sent me a TikTok of him the other day talking to Nickelback, and I got I got mad. Like I I <laughs> was like, Don't, why would you fucking send me that? Because <laughs> I she thinks it's hilarious. Like how visceral of a reaction I have to this random ass fucking top forty like Ryan Seacrest kind of fucker like. <laughs> Should we start tweeting at him? Maybe that's who we need to move on to once uh, we finally get Seacrest to acknowledge us. If that someday happens, yeah. Um, we, we've never done any, like, radio or shock jock guys. No, we, we kind of did. Because we talked about the... Way back in episode 15, we talked about the uh, yes, the radio the, promo uh, that wound up killing somebody. But... Uh-huh. <clears throat> but I, I, in part because, like, shock jocks... Like on one hand, I don't, I don't want to get too gun shy about doing topics that other podcasts have done, even if it's podcasts that people who like our show probably also like. But like Shocktober with Brian Quinby and uh, Chris James and Felix Biederman, I mean, does such good analyses of shock jocks. I don't think we could even come close to it. But also and the, here's the thing about shock jocks. The reason I don't really want to talk about them is also the reason I don't really like them, which is I don't think ultimately many of them are that unique. Yeah, I think most of them are doing the same kind of shit. You remember, does Man Cow still exist? I think he does, but <clears throat> it's still... I, like, I think he's basically contained to, like, Chicago now. Yeah. Like, I remember, I probably in, like, the eighth grade, listening to Man Cow's Morning Madhouse on the way to school. And, like, mm-hmm. you know, when I was 13, I thought <laughs> it was the coolest fucking thing in the world. Because mm-hmm. yeah. he, he said, that's who on the radio. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah it, it's for 13-year-olds. That's, yeah. that's the ideal audience for Man Cow. Now, we didn't grow up around shock jocks. But we did, ours was our dad was big into Bob and Tom, which is not, they aren't shock jocks, but they're like, it's almost like a safer version of shock jockism. Does that make any sense? Yeah, they were, they were very, the Farland of radio. Yeah. Yeah. They were very like, like blue collar themed too. Like they were, it it was the most, for the working man, their, their humor was, their, (laughs) It had the most Midwestern sensibilities, I think, of anything 
I've ever seen yeah. or listened to. It was the most Midwestern show of all time. Their humor was like your drunk boomer uncle. Like, that was their humor. Yeah. Or in our case, our Midwestern lawyer dad. Well. Also very good for that. He loved car talk, too. Um, but, yeah, the, uh, Bob and Tom was not... They didn't bat zero. They had some stuff that was genuinely no. funny. They had, yeah. they had some stuff that was <laughs> very much dumb. But, you know... They had uh, in modern radio. You're not gonna. You're not gonna do that well. They had some earworms too. Oh yeah, they did. B double E double R U N. B run. Yeah. Well, that, <laughs> that is uh, legendary singer songwriter Todd Snyder who wrote that, and that's he played it on Bob and Tom, but he uh -oh. is actually he aims a lot higher than that typically. Who um? Oh my God! Why can't I think of the guy's name? The guy who did Toast. Who is? What was that guy's Haywood name? Banks. Haywood Banks. That was a banger. Because that one was just like, it was so, what what I liked about Toast was that there was just fucking nothing to it at all. It was, there there yeah. was no point. It had no substance. That's what made it so funny. I think yeah. Toast still hits. Haywood Banks wrote a couple other songs that I think were both featured on Bob and Tom <clears throat> at one point. But uh, he also wrote the Cartoon Animals song, which was mm -hmm. very funny. And, um, uh, fuck, uh. Perry had a pimple. The <coughs> classic uh, mm -hmm. tale: dangers of growing up in the Midwest as a, a high school kid. Uh, tale. Who yeah, did... he he had some really interesting stuff because much of his stuff was just straight silly. Like that's all it was ever supposed to be. It's just dumb. Um, who was the guy who did uh, church league softball fist fight? What was he... the name of that guy? Oh, what the hell was his Is name? Just happened every couple of weeks in my hometown. <laughs> Well, I was going to say, we went to college with a guy, I knew him better than the two of you, um, who actually did that once. Like, he told me this story about, like, his, his church leagues. He was known for being, like, you know, kind of like a violent lunatic. And um, he he joined his church league softball team, and they uh, they had a game one time where their opponent was, like, uh, was short on numbers. And so he agreed to go over and uh, uh, play for the other church. But then, like, he got in a fist fight with his own team who he was playing against. <laughs> Which is really, so, like, getting in a, a church league fist fight with your own softball team is... is I, I've never heard of that one. That one's pretty unprecedented. Man, that is that is true, like, loyalty to the team. Like, not yeah. your team, but, like, that's... That's like when a guy gets traded in the NFL <laughs> and, like, gets in a fist fight with the guys he spent the last three years practicing with. Yeah. That was, mm -hmm. like, some true like eastern illinois decatur area shit that happened um, oh can we talk about hockey for just like two minutes yeah yeah let's do so because speaking yeah, about speaking about trades both our respective uh, teams are uh doing some <laughs> stuff getting rid of all our good players yeah. yeah man i'm 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 a rangers fan for the rest of this season <clears throat> like Panarin, Tarasenko, and fucking Patrick Kane all on the same line. Could you imagine that? That's pretty wild. They're gonna score. They're gonna score fifteen goals a game. Yeah, three massive egos, but three guys who can <laughs> score the fuck out of some goals. Yeah, this is very much like a, a Yankees or like a, a Lakers move too. It's just like, yeah. all right, cool. We're just gonna get every every single one of the best players in like. I'm surprised Connor McDavid didn't go over to the Rangers. <laughs> um, yeah, the Blues, like, I knew they were going to do this. Like, they need to do a soft rebuild. 
they, you know, made some bad contracts, it seems like, and they kind of need to get themselves out from under. They do have three first-round picks now, which seems good. And um, they've lost six in a row, so it seems like I don't think they're going to suck enough to wind up with Connor Bedard, but I'd at least like them to give themselves the chance, you know. Yeah, I, I am a little disappointed for what the Blackhawks got for Patrick Kane. Like, I mean, I know he's he's older and he's he's been dealing with some injuries, but they got like a a second round conditional pick that if they win the conference, it will turn into a first round. And then I think like a fifth round pick next year. Yeah. Um God, it, it like I knew the Blues had to do this, but it does still suck. Like I went and um, uh, one of my Valentine's gifts for Sarah was she has always wanted a hockey sweater. And I didn't do it for Christmas, but I went I went to the, the big like St. Louis sports store. And this is in January that I did this. And so I'm looking around I'm like, God, is, this, is there like whose jersey can I buy who's not about to get <laughs> traded? And I, I wound up, even though I figured he would get traded, I did get her a Ryan O'Reilly and we traded it in because it didn't fit right, and she she got a Jordan Bennington. Because by the time we went back to tur- to trade it back in, like half of the rack was just gone. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I think I think like as far as decent players, the Blues are gonna hold on to. I think right now Shenner's the only one that they really have yeah. any attachment to. Well, and, like the young guys, Kyru and Thomas, obviously, but right. And I I'm sure they'll stick with Bennington because it's not like, you know, they may as well keep the goalie around. Um, I'm sure they would love to get rid of Colton Pareko, but like who the fuck wants him? <laughs> like they, yeah. somebody has to want him to trade him. I see fans complaining about, you know, trade, like you got to go ahead and trade away Colton Pareko and Marco Scandella, but that's what it's like. Somebody has to want that player for the trade to happen, you know? Um, but anyway, yeah, yeah. Well, three or four years ago, <laughs> it would have been fairly easy to trade Colton Pareko, but in, uh, in 2023, he's well, not demanding much on the market. One of my coworkers asked me who the Rangers had in goal, and I said, "Does it matter?" Yeah, who gives a shit anymore? <laughs> I think their goalie is good, but I can't remember his name. Um, they let some kid from the uh, from the stadium do it every week. Yeah, one of Tarasenko's kids. Yeah. So yeah, hockey is fun for everyone, um, except for uh, the three of us. Um, yeah. For once, the Blues and Blackhawks can uh, show solidarity in something. Um, well, and it, I was really disappointed when they, like, realigned the divisions. Yeah. Because, like, it, it, it's the same thing with, like, if they ever did that in, in baseball. It's like, the rivalry is fun. Yeah. Yeah. The thing they've done in you baseball... Can, you, you can't split the Cardinals and the Cubs up. I just don't see it happening. The thing they've done in baseball that's fucked everything up is they've changed how they do the schedule, which is now, instead of, like, a little bit of interleague play... Every team will now play every other team at least once. And, like, there's fewer divisional games. So I think the Cardinals are done playing the Cubs in, like, July or something like that. It's 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 completely preposterous. Um, but I digress. Um, what Anybody else have any other sports-related complaints? Uh, Pookie, did you see that the guy <laughs> that the Bears were maybe going to consider taking it at a yeah, number one uh, overall has warrants out for his arrest? <laughs> did you notice that one? I saw that this morning. I I also saw or this whenever the fuck my alert came through. I also saw the uh, his response was he was gonna go back to Georgia and like turn himself in. And uh, I think the quote was uh, he's 
uh, confident he'll be exonerated, and I, man, you're confident, huh? Man, because yeah. <laughs> I was you like, never be confident you're going to be exonerated. You haven't, you haven't seen the discovery like, yet, bro. <laughs> it's like the Bears are gonna, they're gonna trade back with the Colts and get some value from the Colts, and either Will Anderson or or Jalen Carter will be available at the fourth pick, <clears throat> and I am. 100% happy with either of those picks. Yeah. Now, now they... all of a sudden. Yeah. <laughs> now, when this inevitable Colts-Bears trade happens, this will be some good podcast material for the next few years between uh, Jack versus you and Mitch. Mm-hmm. See who somehow okay. comes out worse in all this. Man, it, so... it's really hard to shit on Jack for being a Colts fan as a Bears fan because he can just pull out, hey, remember that time that uh, Peyton Manning shit all over the Bears in the Super Bowl. Yep. Remember how happy you were when Devin Hester took that opening kickback and well, then Peyton Manning just took a baseball bat to your ass for the rest of the game? Well, and that's the thing, man. Is It wasn't even the opening kick. It, well, I mean, it was, but that wasn't the only good thing that happened in the first five minutes of that game because Indianapolis's first drive of that game, Peyton Manning threw a pick. Mm-hmm. That's right. And then he took a baseball bat to the bears ass <laughs> yeah. in the rain so, too if i remember right yeah mm-hmm. i don't know about you guys but partially for work and partially just because i'm a sports nerd i am uh, you know i'm always looking forward to march madness just to seeing what ridiculousness happens and i've actually been watching some ncaa basketball can we talk about how much i love watching midwestern teams in the big 10 play it's so fucking fun because they're always like all these skill players they got from a city you know, somewhere, these little guards that can shoot the lights out. And then they've always got some big white farm kid playing in the post. Remember yeah, that so... kid from Loyola? Was that last year? The the dude that was, like, our size? Yeah. Hmm. But yeah, there's yeah. always some big tree from Wisconsin, you're right. Where Purdue, yeah. it's it's Zach Eady. I think, I can't remember where he's from, but, but yeah, he looks like the goddamn it, Jolly yeah. Green Giant. Yeah, it's, it's always, like... Indiana or Wisconsin is like, and starting at power forward, here's Durf Gruntman, a 28 year old <laughs> senior from Pig Sack, Indiana. So I majors I'll, in beer bongs. Did you now? Did you, you see? Okay? And I'll, I'll give a I'll give a brief shout out. Uh, our alma mater of Illinois College won uh, their conference and has made the Division Three tournament. So that's kind of neat. I was, yeah. I was fortunate enough to be there for the last two games of that uh, that tournament. Yeah. Um, it's a, an absolute blast. They got a real good team right now. <clears throat> good. They're not as always good at when, stuff. Yeah, as opposed to when we were there, when they had one dude who could jump out of the gym and then, like, some tall guys. <laughs> and, like, they that was one, the whole other good guard but yeah that was pretty much it yeah um so there were a couple other things that i wanted to bring to to you two's attention before we move on to our guys um first of all we did get a listener email this week Ooh, and it wasn't from me this wasn't wasn't from you wasn't from friend of the show jeremy uh wasn't from friend of the show laura who i think is in third place for listener emails uh but it was from a um uh Someone we hear from every now and then. It was from friend of the show, Mason. Um, oh, hey, Mason. Mason was uh, replying to, actually, um, my big question from last week about if you were going to change your name to run for political office. 
Um, his, uh, the email starts with a tagline, vote for BJ Pritzler. He says, in response to legally changing your name for a political race, I stand by my bit that someone should run against Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker by changing their name to a shockingly similar name, running on a total app opposite platform, and just generally fucking with the guy for fun. On a related note, I have changed my name legally to B.J. Pritzler, and hereby announced my candidacy as governor of Illinois running as a Republican. Thanks, Mason. You haven't, you haven't found the time to introduce me to your infant child, but you did find time to write that email, so... Just wanted, to, just wanted to stash away in the old noggin. Entire political campaign, no less. Um, something for something for the two of you as Illinois residents to be on the lookout for, whether um, friend of the show Mason will be continuing this bit into the next election I, season, which I think it's like it's three years as away. As soon as I hear his voice. <laughs> Honestly, man, like overdone commitment to a bit like that is is one of the funniest things ever. Like when it goes... It really is. When it goes from funny to tired and back to funny again, yeah. like that second set of funny is hilarious. Oh yeah, yeah, it's the Family Guy uh, theory. Like let yeah. it get let a joke run on so long it stops being funny, and then let it run on a little longer and it gets funny because of how unfunny it is. Um, yeah. So something we've been trying to do with this show. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we're in the episodes in the 60s, so we're kind of in that not funny period right now, but we'll get back there by episode 80 or so. That's what it is. It ebbs and flows. Um, so I, I thank you for that, Mason. Um, we appreciate the uh, we appreciate the input as uh, our first Here's a Guy affiliated candidate is now running for office. You will you are, will probably be less insane than Byron Looper, but we'll see. I uh, also wanted to bring to you two's attention. I saw a tweet from IGN earlier, um, <clears throat> and there was an attached story, but I didn't read it. Um, the tweet's good enough for me. That's really all you need. Like, you know how when you hit a yep. retweet button on an article and it says, like, would you like to read the article first? Fuck no, I wouldn't like to read the article first. What do you think? I'm no. nuts. So this one, um, it says, Star Wars legend Salacious B. Crumb may have survived the explosion the destroyed Jabba the Hutt's sail barge and Return of the Jedi, according to the Mandalorian co-creator John Favreau. Now, this excites me because Salacious B. Crumb is one of my absolute favorite Star Wars characters. Calling oh, him a legend a, may be a bit a of a stretch. Cool, creepy little dude. And so I'm Thank excited. You. I wanted to bring out um, my uh, uh, Salacious B. Crumb uh, plush battle buddy from the 90s that I got off eBay. <laughs> Hell um, yeah. Um, that's, a, that's a really great bit for an audio-only format. Yeah. Alex. <laughs> so uh, you can all imagine what it looks like. It's Salacious B. Crumb, but if he was a little uh, uh, cheap plush doll. Now, I can do a Salacious B. Crumb impression. You want to hear my Salacious B. Crumb impression? <clears throat> sure. <clears throat> all right. Hey, I'm Salacious B. Crumb. Uh, I like to sit on uh, uh, Jabba's shoulder or whatever, and he's got me chained up, and I, I do a weird little laugh sometimes. And uh, generally speaking, I'm just a, I'm just an obnoxious little creep. Um, and everybody thought I, I died in the uh, Jabba's barge explosion, but turns out maybe I didn't. And maybe I'm going to have a little spinoff. Who's to say? That's so my consolation. You're just bound and determined to keep doing that till it gets funny, aren't you? It's, it's, the, it's the same thing you were just talking about, yeah. I, <laughs> so... My favorite there bit. Are, there are three, like, golden keys to my funny bone. And it's like wildly dark humor, silly wordplay, and then like that joke. Yeah. 
anti-jokes. <laughs> well, my favorite iteration of it on the show, just to pull back the curtain for everyone a bit, is um, a few weeks ago when we did the Freddy the Cat bit. Because right before we yeah. started recording, Jack John said completely earnestly, like, I'm so excited to hear what kind of voice he got planned for Freddy. I'm and like, I remember oh. glancing at Jack John like, you know what he's <laughs> going to do. You're out of your mind, dude. Of course you know what I'm going to do. I hadn't even considered coming up with a voice for Freddy. Like, like you chose a character that <laughs> doesn't actually have a voice in the D&D campaign we, campaign we play. And, and that's, and, yeah, that's my voice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just mm -hmm. that guy. So, yeah, we could get a little Salacious B. Crumb. Um, what I'm really hoping for is uh, one of my other Star Wars favorite side characters, the wonderful Max Rebo, who I also, of course, oh, have yeah. a plush of. I would love for them to get a show together. It can either be like a, a spy versus spy thing where they're they're mortal enemies or like a buddy cop thing. I'll, set a, so I'll, here's I'll, what I'll settle for either one. I want them to do a uh, Star Wars universe version of Space Ghost Coast to Coast. Oh, sure. Um, host, hosted by Salacious B. Crumb and then his orchestra guy is Max Rebo. I mean, I don't. It seems like Disney's not paying a ton of attention to what is going into their Star Wars properties now. If that's true, like if you watched Andor, which I loved, but is like a large part of it was was kind of like communist uh, propaganda. <laughs> yeah, which yeah, I like that about it. So yeah, I haven't watched it yet, but I've heard it's just like leftist as fuck. It, it is, have, man. I. I don't have time to watch cool TV. I uh, I spend... Here's a little look at what I've been doing while we've not been playing Dungeons & Dragons. While, while Here's an Adventure <laughs> has been on a, a small hiatus. Um, I added a whole new continent to, to that world. Um, I decided that the... Uh, the normal like just using earth's calendar and days of the week that was too boring so i came up with an entire lunar cycle calendar um here's here's my sketches on it uh <laughs> there it it's stupid the amount of work i put into this that and it's and it's shit that like might come up once ever but when it comes well, up i'm gonna have the answer to it and that that means you're doing it because you love it which means it's not a waste of time at all that's fair i appreciate your faith in me uh <laughs> i would like you to please explain that to my wife and <laughs> no this is how i relax <laughs> By winding then, myself up about things that are probably never going to come into play. Yeah, and then her counterpoint to that is, well, then how come he leaves his office screaming about how nothing is ever going to make sense twice a week? <laughs> Same reason I do, because I watch the news. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, on that existential uh, depressing note, <laughs> let's get on to uh, the next part of the show, which is we're going to talk about some guys. Um and uh, we get, we got from what I understand another another great slate of guys. Some maybe maybe a little more lighthearted this week than usual, but some fascinating I, I people. I think that existential depression is is gonna it's gonna counterbalance well with what I think is one of our most uplifting episodes. Yeah, no, we're not talking about goddamn gags the clown this week. So, um, <laughs> um, nothing to get grouchy about that I foresee, but but you never know. I never want to count my chickens before they hatch, but 
Uh, let's get to it. Let's talk about some guys. Um, Pookie, would you like to help us out, please? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, <clears throat> guys, the... Did I did I do it the right? The jazz version. You know oh, what? Sorry, sorry. <laughs> it's fine. You know, it's it's been the exact same thing for 66 episodes in a row. We can afford to do it differently once. <clears throat> so, um, Cody, I believe you're up first this week. Who's your guy? Mm-hmm. So, tonight, I actually meant to do this topic a few weeks ago, but we wound up not doing one that week, and I put it on the back burner. Um, but this is, I know it's technically March 1st as we sit and record this, but uh, we just had Black History Month. Yeah. So, as that draws to a close, we're going to talk about one of the true legends of American Black History, and really the American West in general, um, this gal is a great example of an idea that I've become more and more convinced of the longer we've done this show. And that is that some people are just exceptional. Um, yeah. There's this inner reserve of strength and humanity that most people just don't have. But some people seem to be born with it. The type of person who faces massive challenges for their entire existence, continually rises up to meet them, and doesn't become overly jaded or like misanthropic <laughs> couldn't most be us people, when the world most people when the world treats them like shit they either break under the pressure or begin to hate the world around them as alex <laughs> just said like us yeah um <laughs> these people are not podcasters clearly no but uh, that would be boring to, yeah tonight's subject refused to let the society she was born into break her body or her heart and that's the legacy of stagecoach Mary Fields. All right. So, start off. Bit of a dour note. Mary Fields was born into slavery in 1832 in Hickman County, Tennessee. You're correct. That is a dour note. <clears throat> she was uh, emancipated following the conclusion of the Civil War with all the rest of the slaves and found work as a chambermaid on a steamboat called... <laughs> I hate it, even saying this. Is it a steamboat called Desire? No. It, is it's it a called Willie? Called the Robert E. Lee. Ugh. Oh. That's not. Oh, fu- that's, that's not funny at all. Mine, mine was silly, and I was excited, and then you said the word, <laughs> and I got, I got sad. Mine was a goddamn Mickey yeah. Mouse reference. Uh-huh. <laughs> Only it, you know, that's like slightly less racist. So just a a nice little slap in the face, right there. Um, yeah. She wasn't with the Robert E. Lee for very long, though. During her time there, she met uh, Edmund Dunn, who was a prominent judge at the time. Uh, Dunn offered her a job in his household, which she accepted, probably because she didn't want to work on the fucking Robert E. Lee anymore. Yeah. Um, so Mary took the position. Family loved her. Um, unfortunately, Mrs. Dunn passed away in 1883. And I don't know if it was just the grief... Or if this guy just really didn't give a shit. But after his wife passed away, he charged Mary with taking the children to live with his sister, Mother Mary Amadeus, the mother superior of an Ursuline uh, convent in Toledo, Ohio. Oh. oh. Hmm. Yeah. It's like, hey, um, your mom's not around anymore, so, um... You want to go halfway across the country and live with a bunch of fucking nuns? Because <laughs> that's what I want you to do. 
Yeah, I, I, Edmund was I doing judge stuff, I guess. Too busy to raise his family, I suppose. But uh, that the was youngest a very, girl. That yeah. was a very like like old timey attitude. Is like the the father had nothing to do with raising the kids. Like all the Except way up until like the fifties and sixties. Well, yeah, you know, sock full of oranges. Uh huh. Oh man. Our most uplifting uplifting episode ever, folks. <laughs> uh, and continuing on that theme, uh, the youngest child would die at the age of five. <clears throat> but in 1883, if you had five kids and one of them didn't die, they would, like, burn you for being a witch. You remember, like, Adolf Sachs, where, like, at, like all of his siblings died, and he himself came close to dying, like, ten times? That's just what life was like back then. So, one way or another, Mary Fields went with the children to live at the convent and uh, became very close to Mother Amadeus and the children. Now, Mother Mary Amadeus was noteworthy in her own right as a missionary in the young American West. In 1884, she was sent to what is now Montana to establish a school for Native American girls at St. Peter's Mission, which I guess is yet another unfortunately named business. Yeah. Um, also, to this day, the Mother only Amadeus. school in the state of Montana. <laughs> nobody from Montana has ever listened to the show. We can say whatever we want. That's because there is nobody from Montana. Fuck. I really we need. Gotta... I, I really need to go back through and like compile a list of all of the states <laughs> that you guys have dumped on. Everyone I, we've ever talked about, I think. Last yeah. week, I my mean, topic, I dumped fair. on like ten of them <laughs> simultaneously. <laughs> So, after uh, Mother Amadeus had been in Montana for a little while, she fell sick. She got pneumonia. So, Mary and the children went all the way out to Montana to help her get well. When Mother Amadeus eventually recovered, Mary decided, I like it here. I think I'm just going to stay here and work around the, the, uh, the mission. Now, Mary was no shrinking violet. She took on a lot of the hard manual labor that women ordinarily wouldn't even think of doing at that time. Maintenance, repairs, hauling freight, you know, etc. Tough stuff. Tote that barge, lift that bale, get a little drunk, you land in jail. You know how it goes. So, eventually, Mary um, distinguishes herself to the extent that she becomes the foreman, quote-unquote, of the entire missions maintenance department. Very unusual for a woman at that point in time. And despite the hard work, life at the mission was peaceful and quiet. Unfortunately, Mary Fields was neither of those things. Oh, okay. Um, Get it. Yeah. While Mary <laughs> could work like a sailor, she also talked and drank like one. Good which, for her. Uh, yeah. Caused uh, a lot of friction with the uh, the churchy folks. Um, Man, I, everything you say about her just makes me like her more. Yeah. Uh, that's a trend that I think will probably continue. Yeah, we're on a good um, crescendo here. Yeah. She also had a quick temper and frankly had a lot of issues with her male subordinates because a lot of them didn't really like taking orders from a woman. But there weren't a whole lot who dared to say anything about it, as Mary was tall for a woman and weighed in at about 200 pounds of straight farm muscle. Holy moly. 
So she's like one of those uh, like Midwestern basketball players that you were talking about. Basically. Exactly. Like goddamn yeah. tree beard. Mm-hmm. However, eventually one of these morons <clears throat> decided to take particular offense and Mary engaged this man in a gunfight. All right. All right. We don't have a firsthand account of exactly how this sequence of events went, but what we do know is Mary was still standing when it was all over. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the other I'm, guy we don't know about. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're like five minutes into your topic and a gunfight happens. I feel like there's not a ton of mystery on who won that gunfight there. Well, it might have been a draw is the the only point. I can't say for sure that she you... uh, she killed this guy, but I can't say she didn't. How do you draw in a gunfight? I don't know. Maybe you both run out of bullets without hitting anything. I don't know. I I guess. I don't know. That just that really seems like a like a pass fail situation. Yeah. True. Yeah, you don't get like a so... C minus in a gunfight, you know. <laughs> There's no such thing as a pretty good alligator wrestler. Yeah. That's right. To quote the wonderful Johnny Knoxville. So, one way or another, the Bishop of St. Peter's decided at that point that maybe it would be better if Mary Fields were to leave. And the Bishop barred her from the convent. Why? Because she shot someone? It's the Old West. That's just like part of day-to-day yeah, life. someone who was going to shoot her otherwise. Yeah. I mean, apparently the, the Bishop just really did not, he really did not approve of anything she did. Um... <clears throat> Mary, for her part, was absolutely furious and also heartbroken as she felt she found a home. She got along really well with all the nuns, but the bishop had final say and he said, nope, you're gone. So, Mary would move and settle in the new uh, community of Cascade, Montana, where she promptly became one of the city's most beloved citizens. She opened a tavern, but unfortunately, the tavern went under in less than a year as she frequently allowed people who were cash poor to eat for free. Hmm. It's the old, I'll pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today principle, but Tuesday never seems to come. This this lady's awesome. Yeah. She sounds like an altruistic Lisa Lampanelli. (laughs) Yeah, kind of. So... She herself went totally broke twice because of this practice. Like, not only did the thing, but she herself did not have a penny. But both times, uh, her old friend Mother Amadeus helped her out. At this point, the U.S. Mail Service, to pivot just a little bit, was having trouble finding and keeping mail carriers for the area as... Again, this is undeveloped Montana. This is tough fucking terrain. And... Not only is it very hard just to move across Montana safely, you've also got bandits and wild animals out there to worry about. Back then, what were called star routes were handed out to private contractors who, it was basically whoever offers the lowest bid, um, gets the job. And at this point, Mother Amadeus actually contacted the, uh, the government and told them, hey, you should let this lady drive you around. Like, she can get it done. Um, I couldn't find any details on, like, whether a bid was placed or exactly how they convinced the guy in charge, but Mary got the job and became the first black woman ever to work for the U.S. Postal Service. 
She picked up her nickname Stagecoach Mary from her preferred method of transportation. She drove this stage with a team of horses and her mule Moses. That's a good name for a mule. Sub guy. That yeah, that is a that's a great mule name. Yeah. Her, our sub mule Moses. Um <laughs> We haven't had a mule as a subject yet. Not yet. But one of these days. We'll find one. There was a, a mule mm-hmm. at the zoo the other day that was kind of wilding out. Oh cool. One of those Somalian wild asses. Yeah, he was freaking oh, out, yeah. braying all over the place. He was, it was fascinating. Making a wild ass out of himself is what he was doing. Aha. <sighs> so Anyway, uh, moving right along, and uh, with no further recognition uh, whatsoever of how bad that pun was. I will not get up uh, and walk to the other room. I, I've sorry, changed. I've, I've lost control of myself because I'm laughing at Alex's reaction to your joke. <laughs> yep. Just holding it together over here. Anyway. Her route ran from Cascade, Montana, actually directly to St. Peter's Mission, so she also got to see all of her friends. Um, as far as the bandits and wolves, Mary didn't fuck around. She carried like five or six guns on her at all times, including a thirty-eight caliber tucked under her apron, just in case any of the wolves or bandits in the area were dumb enough to try and take mail off this lady. She was... Man, postal carriers used to be so badass. They had to be. Yeah, she was great at her job. She met every train at the station if it meant she had to sleep in the depot. Um, And when it was too snowy for horses, she threw the satchels on her shoulders, put on some snowshoes, and did the damn thing on foot. Was it... She's so cool. She's so cool. If you remember, like, right before Christmas, um, when we had the winter storm, and uh, it didn't snow as much as we thought, but it was still, like, a high of zero degrees with a 20 below wind chill. My mailman Mm -hmm. did come by that day and and leave me my mail, and it was just, I felt so bad, because it was just, like, junk mail and shit. I'm like, God. Like, I get, everyone's heard the saying, I get that this is part of your job, but, like, this is so not worth it. Yeah, like I, I, the shit went, just went straight in the garbage. Like, I, 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 I felt like just reading it just to, you know. <laughs> but I, I didn't go that far with it. But I felt like just at least opening up whatever scam mail I got and then and taking a look at I, it. I would, I would have made him like a thermos full of tea with some whiskey in it. Oh <laughs> like, yeah, if I knew he was coming, seeing my, <laughs> by the looks of my usual mailman, the guy I saw that day, maybe like a nice <laughs> joint would have made him feel a little bit better. But, um. <laughs> But alas. So anyway, Mary drove this route from 1895 to 1903. When she retired at the age of 71. Good lord. (laughs) Yeah, she was not a young woman when she started doing this. Um, eventually when she retired, she just settled back in Cascade and continued to be literally the most popular human being in that town. Um, maybe my favorite piece of random side info in this entire thing, uh, like a lot of former uh, slaves, people born into slavery at least, Mary didn't know when her birthday was. So she celebrated her birthday twice a year because 
fuck you, I don't have a real birthday. <coughs> just whenever she felt like doing it. Yeah, that's a good bit. And the whole town celebrated with her. They went as far as to close the schools. All right. Can you imagine how shit-housed everybody got at that thing? Oh my god, yeah. And Mary probably more so than anyone else, yeah. Um, speaking of which, she was the only woman allowed to drink at the local bar, which back then, legally, you could only drink at a bar if you were a man. And the local authorities were like, I don't want to. I, I don't want to kick her out of here, and I don't want to try to kick her out of here. I was gonna so. say, who's gonna tell her no? Yeah, that <laughs> that really seems like a situation. Like even as beloved as she was, I'm sure there was some like Randall motherfucker in the town that's like, no, a woman can't drink, and like some dude just like, are you really gonna go tell her that she can't drink in that? here? Yeah. <laughs> um, and get shot in the face with her 38 special. <laughs> yeah, if she doesn't just punch you to death first. Pulls his head back like Basically, a Pez dispenser. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the only sour notes in this whole story, in 1912, Mary's house burned down. That is sad. However, the entire town pulled together to rebuild it for her. They said, nope, Mary, you've been doing stuff for us for how long now? Sit back, we'll take care of this for you. And rebuilt her house basically from scratch. Um... She loved children. She babysat a lot of the town's kids. In addition to running a laundry service, that's kind of how she made ends meet after she retired. Mary passed away eventually in 1914 at age 81, and her funeral was one of the biggest the town has ever seen. Her uh, legacy lived on long after, though, as her stories had captured the hearts of not just the town, but America itself. And she's become part of pop culture. Uh, she's been portrayed in movies by the likes of Zazie Beetz and Erica Badu. Uh, also, Mary Fields has an asteroid named after her. Oh. Not a whole lot of random Old West figures that do. <clears throat> I No. Did they even know what asteroids were in the Old West? No. They, okay. they thought they were literally falling stars. So that is impressive. So that, uh, again, that, that, that was a feel-good... I feel like after some of the stuff we talked about recently, we needed a bit of a feel-good story. So, <clears throat> if... My, my big question, if you were a local celebrity in the Old West, like a Mary Fields, she was Stagecoach Mary, what would your thing be? What do people know you for? So I think I'm going to ride around on my horse backwards... And I'll play uh, it up as just like a tough guy thing. They're like, I'm not going to let anyone get the jump on me. Nobody's going to be popping out from behind a rock or a tree to mess with me. But really, it's just going to be, it's going to be similar to like um, the concept. And obviously, like you know, COVID's made this a little different. But um, one of my my uh, one of my classmates in college, who I don't know that this is a good word to use, but people would describe him as like a like a weeabu, a weeb. He was like a, like a white kid who's obsessed with Asian culture. And he explained to me one time that um, the reason that in like um, uh, Japan in particular, um, you'll see people like out in public, like on the subways and stuff wearing face masks. It's not because they're actually sick. It's just like to keep people from coming up and talking to them. That's yeah. going to be the whole conceit uh, of me. Like I actually don't want to just like I don't want to just like encounter people face to face and have to go through the pleasantries. I kind of just want to want to get on with my day. So, that's my way thing. bad as you're leaving. Yeah, yeah. 
I uh I I feel like I might end up stepping on on your toe here, Cody. Um, but I am one hundred percent certainly the town drunk. And I, I'm I'm sure that's what Jack would have said if he were here. I yeah. I guarantee you that would have been Jack's answer to this question. One hundred percent, yeah. But I'm just I'm... that's why that wasn't that's why that's not gonna be my answer. It was because <laughs> I knew someone else would do it. I think but, like I think it'd be an interesting dynamic having two town drunks though. One can be the town whiskey drunk, one can be the town ale drunk, and you two can, like, fight each other every Friday night. <laughs> I was going to say, I wonder, is, is, are they going to be competitive town drunks, or do they, like, form an alliance, and this town is just the most annoyed town in the West? I don't know. I feel like this happened in real life about <laughs> eight years ago. <laughs> <laughs> That's possible. So, for me... I'm going to be I'm going to be I think the local judge but like many uh morons in the old west I'm it's going to cause some problems because I'm also going to be illiterate. Oh okay. <clears throat> so I'm not going to be able to read like any any of the wanted posters from people trying to claim bounties. I'm not going to be able to look at legal statutes. I I'm just going to try and eyeball everything 100% and make really stupid snap judgments. Um, yeah, so I'm going to be the illiterate judge. As the lawyer in the room, I'm really trying hard to bite my tongue here. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. All right, good answers. Good answer. I, I think we've got a good cast of characters for our Western comedy. All right, well, thank you for that, Cody. And uh, moving on to our second topic of the episode, we turn to our special guest, Pookie. Pookie, who's your guy this week? Oh, uh, so my guy this week is Nathan Nearest Green. Um, I kind of, I kind of teetered back and forth on who I wanted to talk about this week. Cause I like, I really wanted to do a whiskey guy this week hmm. because there are so many crazy fucking stories about people, especially in like the late 1800s when the like American whiskey movement was really going. Um, mm -hmm. but I, and I swear to God, you guys don't know who I'm going to talk about. I, I was very vague. I, I texted you guys to make sure you didn't know who it was. But this is the story of Nathan Green, a former slave oh. who <laughs> I rose through very, uh, very tumultuous times and very adverse living situations. And the first, like, quarter of my story is uh, you, you can just go back and listen to Cody's. And <laughs> love the accidental serendipity that happens sometimes. Yeah, the, so. like yeah, and, I was, and they both loved whiskey too. Yeah, yeah. Not surprising so is... to me that that whiskey guys are a big thing because they are categorically drunk on whiskey. So, yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, so this is the story I'm of also a categorically drunk. On whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is the story of a former slave. And arguably one of the most important figures in American whiskey, oh. um, and it's and it's a story that very much should have much more notoriety than it does. Um, born Nathan Green sometime around the 1820s in Maryland, um, he was known to his friends and family as Uncle Nearest. Not much is known about his early life, um, like Cody said in his topic. Um, 
people born into slavery, and really even people born in the 1800s, unless you were a member of a church, there's not good rep- record keeping. Yeah, yeah, just not um, a lot of detailed records being kept. Period. Well, at that and, point, but but especially among slaves because yeah. they considered you property, not people. So mm-hmm. right, right, being considered care about that kind of stuff. Being considered less than human, they aren't. They aren't. You know. They're right. cataloging your life very much. You're treated like dog shit. That's that's pretty much the extent of it. Yeah. Um, and so not much is known about his early life. Um, it's not even known for certain if he was born into slavery or if at some point became one. But by the mid-1800s, he was a slave on a farm owned by the country preacher Reverend Dan Call. Hmm. And there are some names <laughs> that are going to come up that I really want... Uh, I'm wanting this to be a really big, cool reveal, and you guys are going to be like, oh, shit, that's awesome. I'm afraid Cody's going to know the names. Okay. So. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and here's the thing. Like I told Alex and Jack, just to pull back the curtain a little bit, when I did Ted Healy, I didn't tell Alex and Jack what the reveal was, but I was like, if you you see it coming, please keep it to yourself, because I think it's going to work better if... So if I if I see if I think I see something coming, I will just zip it until you you give me the the go. Perfect. Um, so a a slave on the farm of uh, the country preacher Reverend Dan Call, and this was at a time when like, especially preachers like nobody just did one thing. Nobody was just a judge. Nobody was just a lawyer. Nobody was just a preacher. Like, if you owned property, you had to make that property useful. Um, but Reverend Call wasn't just a preacher and wasn't just a farmer. Uh, he owned a 338-acre property, and off in a corner down in the hollow, uh, as as colloquial, I think it would be known as the holler. Holler, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was going to correct you, but I was waiting to see if you were going to get it yourself. Uh, off in the corner, down in the holler, uh, was a distillery. Now, I've got to interrupt my story real quick because I have a quick uh, lesson. And, and this, is, this is audience participation here. So, okay. do you guys know the difference between Tennessee whiskey and bourbon? I know that there is one. As far as, like, the technical difference, I couldn't, I couldn't tell you. That's also my level of knowledge, yes. So, as of 1964... Uh, when this was all ratified as law, the rules for bourbon are must be made in the United States, must be at least 51% corn in the mash bill. So it can also have rye, it can also have um, barley, but at least 50%, 51% of that mash bill has to be corn. Um, it must be aged in new virgin char- uh, charred oak barrels, <clears throat> meaning nothing else has been aged in it before. <laughs> it must not be distilled higher than 160 proof it okay. cannot be barreled higher than 125 proof that's still some pretty strong bourbon it can't be bottled lower than 80 proof yeah there you go and it can't have any other flavors or coloring added <clears throat> um meaning the only thing you could do to your bourbon when you put it in a bottle is cut it with water to proof it down i see the rules for Tennessee, Tennessee whiskey, other than the must be made in the United States, has to be replaced with must be made in Tennessee, 
uh, is that it also has to be processed through a sugar maple charcoal filtration. That's the only difference. So there's a okay. there's an extra well, charcoal. They taste very similar. Yes. Yeah. There also has to be a charcoal filtration filtration step um, added into that whole process. So maybe that's so. I one of my when I talk to people that drink mainstream bourbon, um, a lot of times I'll say, "Do you like Jim Beam or Jack Daniels better?" That's kind of a gold standard. Mm -hmm. I've always preferred Jim Beam, and I guess it's that I guess it's the lack of that charcoal filtration that that I like. I never knew that before. I, I'm not a huge fan of Tennessee whiskey. There are some that I, that I like, but. Um... In my experience, that charcoal filtration adds kind of a like medicinal cherry flavor to it, it that I, I think don't that's love. Kind of why I, pre I prefer it as a like if it's Jack Daniels or something like that. I prefer it as a mixing whiskey. Like I'm mm -hmm. gonna put this in Coke or something. Whereas you know if it's a real legit bourbon, like say even Jim Beam, I could just pour that over an ice cube or two or some whiskey stones and be good to go. Um, now, the reason I bring this up is because Uncle Nearest specialized in that charcoal filtration process, uh, also known as the Lincoln County process. Um, and there are a ton of like whiskey and food historians who are pretty sure that this process itself was brought to the United States by enslaved Africans who used charcoal to filter water and purify foods in West Africa. Like that was already a process okay being used that is very interesting mm -hmm. i yeah. have no idea a lot of similarities to american cuisine a lot of our our good methods of cooking uh came from people who were brought over from africa like deep frying foods for example that's who we have to right. thank for that uh now by the 1850s um uncle nearest was the master distiller of reverend cal or reverend calls distillery um, and around this time, a young white boy came to work on the farm as a chore boy. Um, this young man was the youngest of 10 siblings and had just lost, or excuse me, not just lost his mother, had lost his mother by the time he was four months old. Um, now, a lot of the like articles and, and things I read um, in, in research for this, uh, and I, I will... I don't want to cite my sources because it's going to give away my my big twist ending. Um, gotcha. But uh, a lot of the articles and things that I've read about this um, said that uh, this young boy, whose name was Jasper, uh, spent most of his time doing simple farm chores, feeding livestock, fetching water, things along those lines. Um, but gotcha. he was wildly curious about the other end of the property down the holler, where he would often see smoke and men hurrying back and forth with mules and wagons. Um, eventually, after a few years, uh, Reverend Cal took the young man back to the distillery and introduced him to Uncle Nearest, saying, according to his biography, this is Uncle Nearest. He's the best whiskey maker I know of. You know how on like um, TV shows, like, uh, like cartoon shows like Family Guy and whatnot, when they do like a historical flashback, the characters will be just like the characters from the show in mm -hmm. historical garb. Mm -hmm. I'm picturing Jasper as Jack John. Is that weird? <laughs> For some reason, you just say chore bit. boy, and I instantly think of Jack John. <laughs> so here's what's weird. I was actually thinking of a different Seth MacFarlane analog. This reminded me of the Christmas episode where uh, Roger gets introduced oh, to yeah. Bob Todd. <laughs> Bob Todd Williams. 
Robert Todd. Todd. I won't know what to do with it. Robert Todd for is all the same. <laughs> Me and this reindeer are going to make sweet, tender love. Merry Christmas, everybody. Ah, <laughs> uh, TV shows. Yep. Uh, so Uncle Nearest took Jasper on as his apprentice and taught him everything he knew about distilling whiskey. And this went on for years. Um, as Jasper continued learning from Uncle Nearest until he was old enough to start selling it um, in other towns around the area and even to soldiers during the Civil War. And uh, at at some point during the Civil War, Jasper's father passed away. Um, from what I could tell, as a result of the Civil War, he was fighting in it and was killed. Um, so okay. Jasper, now an orphan, um, is... is selling this this down in the holler moonshine whiskey uh to soldiers to people around town um this that and the other on december so, 6th I, I i have a question for you guys and i i think your answer is going to be the same as mine but i want to see if someone were to bring you a bottle of this exact whiskey not not that was actually made back then that's like mm -hmm. a couple hundred years old by now but i mean like as it existed then this like homebrew moonshine whiskey would you drink it i mean i'll try I'd it do, i'd do a shot because it's gonna be at this point it's gonna essentially be like sweet vodka yeah i i mentioned on the show i think before that i have tried legit moonshine and cody i think when i tried it you also tried it like those uh, -huh. uh yeah it was those guys from like rural pennsylvania who used to come hang mm -hmm. go hunting with our uncle and Holy yeah, shit! It was not good. <laughs> fucking oh, yeah. sucked. No, it, 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 it tastes like pure rubbing alcohol. Yeah. No, it'll it'll yeah. get you drunk pretty quick. It was real strong, but it man, it was not good. One spoonful they, of that was yeah. enough. They do shit different in Appalachia, man. Yeah, they do. So yeah, I, I was gonna say yes. I will absolutely try this. I don't care what microbes are in there that might kill me. I'm hoping the alcohol takes. The care proof of that. is high enough. There's nothing wrong with it. it <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, on yeah. December 6th, 1865, a uh, very important thing happened. Uh, the 13th Amendment was ratified. Very true. Yep. And Uncle Nearest is now a free man. Sometime between 1865 and 1877. Uh, it's not very clear. And the reason I say 1877 is because this is when the first legal documents um, for the distillery were... Uh, were filed uh, and it became became a legal working distillery. I'm fairly certain the whole time they were still making whiskey. Um, but Jasper, his apprentice, asked Uncle Nearest to be his master distiller, and this is a huge deal. This is this is <clears throat> weeks after the Thirteenth Amendment is ratified. This is a black man being asked to be a legitimate business partner in a business. <clears throat> um, yeah. Not a lot of that happening at that point. Yeah, because, yeah. like, you know, the 13th Amendment may have been ratified and, and the slaves may have been freed, but, like, there were a long ways to go from, like, much of mainstream society accepting them as anywhere close <laughs> to equals. Such Shit, a thing, like, I mean, like, yeah. Look what was still going on in the 1960s. Like, yeah, yeah. Or now, for that matter. Yeah, I yeah. mean, 
African Americans in this country have only been equal under the law for sixty years now, if that. The yeah, like you know, something like that. A generation and a half, really. Mm-hmm. There has not um, been a day in the existence of this country where we have uh, treated black people well. It hasn't happened. Maybe someday, no. but. Um, so so Jasper, <clears throat> Uncle Nearest, and the Reverend, um, all partner up, start making whiskey. Eventually, um, Reverend Call, Reverend Call. The man's name is spelled C A L L. Call. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. I don't want to read it that way because it's a name. <laughs> sure. Yeah. That's why I keep fucking it up. Um, Reverend Call left the distillery reportedly for religious reasons. Um, and Jasper renamed it after himself, or at least by the name he was known around town in Lynchburg, Tennessee. Oh boy, Jasper Newton, Jack Daniel. There we go. Uh huh. Love it. I love it so much. When so, as soon as you said Lynchburg, Tennessee, I knew yeah. I knew where you were headed. Yep. Yep. <clears throat> I had uh, a feeling now, he he was gonna wind up either he was gonna wind up being one of the whiskey names. Yep. Which there's some great ones. Oh uh, sure. Pappy Van Winkle is probably <laughs> my favorite. Oh hell yeah. <laughs> I think my favorite uh down in the holler whiskey name that exists on most shelves today is Zachariah Harris. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh so Uncle Nearest becomes the first um, black master distiller in the United States, the first master distiller for Jack Daniels Distillery. <clears throat> and eventually, uh, Jack Daniels Distillery moves from the original farm into, from what I understand, its current location. Um, and Uncle Nearest retired. However, Seven generations of his family have worked for Jack Daniels, um, I think, until this day. Oh, wow. Wow. From what, I, from what I was able to find. Now, this is a very cool, very uplifting story about a former slave and a, a, you know, a white kid who just has had nothing but bad things happen to him for most of his life. Mm-hmm. Becoming friends, becoming partners... It's a really awesome story. I will let you guys decide, you two and the listeners, why it's only been until recently that this story has come to light anywhere outside of Lynchburg, Tennessee. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like the answers are obvious. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, we'll in... let you fill in the blanks listening at home. Yeah. Um, in 2016, uh, the New York Times do an article on Uncle Nearest because for damn near a century, the the legend and the story was that Reverend Call taught Jack Daniel everything he knew about making whiskey. Um, oh, so when people in... didn't really even know about this at all up until... Okay, wow. Yeah, the outside of... Lynchburg, Tennessee, and really the reason it was known in Lynchburg, Tennessee, is because Uncle Nearest's ancestors, you know, generations of his family worked at the distillery, were prominent members of the community, um, and 
but outside of Lynchburg, it was it was a tightly kept secret, apparently. Um, after this New York Times article comes out, um, there's a journalist and New York Times bestselling author uh, named Fawn Weaver um, who digs into this story, team of journalists, team of historians. They, they put out a book about the situation, which uh, I wish I had written the title of the book down. I didn't get a chance to read it. Um, I really want to, though. Um, and it gets blown out into public knowledge. Um, so much so that Brown Foreman, the company that now owns the Jack Daniels Distillery, has like retrained all their tour guides to include Uncle Nearest in their tours. Um, and, and it's 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 a very good thing that this story has come to light um, and, and, and that these people brought this back into light. An even cooler thing is um, Fawn Weaver asked um, Uncle Nearest's descendants what she should do to honor his memory. And um, his descendants basically said, put his name on a whiskey bottle so people know what he did. Mm -hmm. And as of 2021, I think that's right, um, you can now purchase Uncle Nearest, Uncle Nearest 1856, Uncle Nearest Rye Whiskey. Um, Fawn Weaver opened a distillery with Victoria Edie Butler, Uncle Nearest's great-great-granddaughter, as oh, the wow. master blender. <clears throat> Holy that's shit. terrific. Okay, yeah. I, I want some of this now. Uh, yeah, I it, let me know. I can grab you a bottle. I was going to say, I figured you might be able to help me there. I, yeah. I was going to say earlier when you mentioned that, that to this day, I mean, among, among everything else, it's an impressive feat to keep, like, that many subsequent generations of children still interested in the family business. I mean, it... Yeah. it well, it, it's, your business is whiskey. Sure. Maybe a little easier. I I think Jack Daniels himself, like or Jack Daniel apostrophe S's family. I think his direct family only lasted three generations because he had no children, and it was his one of his nephews that took over after he passed away. I see. <clears throat> um, but that is the story of Nathan Uncle Nearest Green. My big question. Um, one of the reasons I didn't want to uh, to give this to you before, if you had a founding role in one of the big pieces of American history, whether your story is known or not, what would you like that piece of history to be? Hmm. Well, I tell you, I don't want to be the guy who started the Great Chicago Fire. We've talked about how that yeah. goes. Um, man, that's a tough one. Um, I want to be the guy who carved the like nose hairs and intricate details on Mount Rushmore. <laughs> I want to. I want to. I want to style Lincoln's nose hair uh, on a giant mountain. That's that's how I want to go down in history. It, it was. But I want everyone to know. It was weird that that's where your mind went, because my mind also went to Mount Rushmore. Except mine was that the whole thing was my idea originally, but it got completely perverted. I didn't want to, like, 
I didn't want it to be about some like, you know, creepy old white presidents. Instead, mine was I it was going to be the three stooges including Shemp. Ah, As a tribute to uh, uh the foundations of comedy. I would I also had I would have settled for the Marx brothers, but I that's I really wanted the stooges. Um but then, you know, the fucking, you know, they wanted to make it all patriotic or whatever the fuck. And so now I'm just like, I can't even claim the project as my own. It, it's just gotten completely out of hand. I just, I want to be the guy that turns like, like the East Coast punk scene in in the like <clears throat> late 60s, early 70s. I want to be the guy that starts the fist fight that turns it into like the violent, angry version of punk <laughs> rock. <laughs> That might have been John Belushi. <laughs> he, he was yeah. he was around back then. <clears throat> Someday That's on this podcast, possible. I need to tell the story because one of my favorite stories. I just cannot think of the vector by which I could do it. Like maybe if I talk about Lee Vang or something like that, I don't know. But like the story about how the the legendary New York hardcore punk band Fear wound up playing Saturday Night Live and like destroying mm-hmm. the set. The story behind that is really fun. Yeah, we can we can find a way to parlay that at some point, I think. Actually, you know what? Fuck it. I'll do it right now. We're talking about the East Coast punk scene. But yeah, so on one of the early seasons of Saturday Night Live, um, the talent all went on strike. Like the, the actors all went on strike. So there was like a scab season of SNL, basically. And it wasn't mm-hmm. very good. And they were like, the ratings were suffering. And so like Lauren Michaels, like they were trying to do like anything to get people to watch. And so they reached out to... <clears throat> they reached out to John Belushi and they, they asked him like, can you just come on like one episode? Like, um, and we'll, we'll hype it up that way we can get some eyes on the show. And John Belushi basically just to fuck with the people who run SNL. Cause he, they were fucking with all the talent said like, all right, mm-hmm. I'll come on the Halloween episode, but you gotta, you, you gotta give me one thing in return. There's this band I love called fear. And I'll come on if you agree to let them be the musical guests. And, of course, the people who ran SNL, they knew nothing about the, the 70s punk scene. And so they didn't know that not only was Fear a hardcore punk band, one of the founding ones, but they were known for having some of the most insane live shows. Um, like, it wasn't quite as crazy as Bad Brains, but it was pretty close. And so yeah. there's still video out there. Uh, Fear, who is uh, fronted by Lee Ving, who you may know from Clue and some other things. As Mr. Um, Body, yeah. Yep. Uh, which we also just watched the other night. Still holds up. But they they oh, played yeah. a few songs and they wound up getting cut off because like they also they were somehow able to get like some legit punks to form the audience and they were like moshing and stage diving. I'm sure the studio audience was just horrified. And like they they wound up pulling the plug and cutting the commercial because they thought like a full scale riot was about to break out. They caused like <laughs> thousands of dollars worth of damage to the set. Like uh Leaving was shirtless. One of the guys was was uh, dressed in drag, which was very controversial at the time. Um, it was tremendous. Go watch the video of Fear on SNL in like 1975 or whenever it was. It's, it's tremendous. So finally got to tell that story. So thank you for that jumping off point. Some bonus oh, yeah. content. And thank you for that topic. That was a good one. Thank you. Yeah, love that. <clears throat> well, we're that down to a new favorite guest topic. Yeah. So we're down to one, um, and that means that it's my turn. Um, so you know how a lot of times in my topics, there is a side character with an amazing name. This week, yeah. this week's going to be different. This week, the guy himself has the amazing name. 
I am talking about Oli Worm, whose name is spelled Oli Worm. Um, yeah, it's spelled it's spelled like another whiskey name. Uh, if you got a bottle uh, titled Ol Worm, yeah, that's that's what it looks like. <clears throat> or some people like, remember him by his Latinized name, uh, Olaus Wormius, which is also good. I feel like this guy has to be tangentially related to like Uva Bowl. Yeah. Like it, it has the same it, it gives the same vibes. Where was Uva Bull from? I don't remember. Uh German somewhere in that area somewhere in the like Eastern Bloc, I think. Um so first of all, shout out to uh Sarah who recommended this topic to me quite some time ago. And I finally decided to to cover it this week with Pookie on the show. For one, I just think Pookie'll think this guy's neat, but also no no person I've ever researched for this show more reminds me of a character that our dungeon master Pookie would would come up with and insert into a campaign. <laughs> he is a guy who either is the start point or the end point of a side quest. You'll see what I mean as we go along. Um, a natural born NPC. Yeah. So also, it's a little different than some of my topics. It's not like one long narrative with a big payoff. It's just he's just a neat guy who did some neat stuff. Um, Oli was born in 1588 in Aarhus, Denmark. So I don't is he our first Danish guy? I don't remember. I believe he is our first Dane. Yes. Yeah. This is this is the part when I'm not here that you go. Oh, Pookie will know. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't think you've been I, a Dane. I'm, I'm I, I pretty did, sure this is our first Danish guy. I did look it up. Uh, Uwe Boll is German. Okay. From Germany. Okay. So pretty close. Yeah. Um, Makes sense. So um, the Worms were a well-to-do family. Um, in fact, his father, <laughs> Willem Worm, was the mayor of Aarhus. Mayor Worm. Um, I know. It's, it's just, just it's a fucking so... kid's book now. <laughs> It it is a it does have very Richard Scary vibes. This whole thing, a mayor worm and Mister Spider and Mrs. Beetle and do do you all remember the detail? I was reminded of this a few years ago that in the busy world of Richard Scary, uh, the cop is a pig. Isn't that amazing? Yes, <laughs> fantastic. Um, <clears throat> Oli was very intelligent and went to college at the University of Marburg uh, before then getting a doctorate from the University of Basel. He was most talented in the field of medicine. Um, but we've, we've talked about this before. Like back in old times, there weren't that many smart people in existence. So uh, those that, who were, they didn't really specialize their knowledge. I'm sorry. I, I either zoned out when you said it or you didn't. When-ish? When so this is like Renaissance. He was born in 1588. Gotcha. So by the time gotcha. he's studying, gotcha. it's it's like early 1600s. Um, so accordingly, after receiving a Master of Arts from the University of Copenhagen, he was hired on as a professor who taught a variety of subjects, such as Latin, Greek, physics, and of course, medicine. A literal Renaissance man. Also, University uh, of Copenhagen is uh, what rednecks call it when they go to the gas station to buy more chaw. <laughs> Very true. Again, as as in other like science guys, the first part of this is going to be a bit dry, so I have to I have to kind of force the riffs to happen. Um, around the same time, Oli's father, Mayor Worm, passes away, uh, leaving behind a substantial inheritance. Oli uses money to fund travels across Europe and across the world. 
But this wasn't mere cavorting that he was doing. Um, he spent these travels studying different cultures and making scientific observations because he was a nerd. This was um, also, sorry to cut you off. No, it's fine. Mayor, mayor was not necessarily an elected position at this point. It was it was an appointed position at this yeah. point in history most of the time. Yeah. Um, so he was probably some kind of minor nobility. Probably true. Um, so yeah. Count Worm. Count Worm. So Oli's, uh, Oli's, Oli's travels were a lot less Euro trip and a lot more Nova. Is Nova still on? Why the fuck would I know? I don't know. Because I feel like um, growing I up, think, like obviously, I, I would have rather Nova die than watch in Nova. Like but like, yeah. but I would totally watch Nova now. That's the thing. Was Nova one of those? Like Nova was was certainly one of those. Like your teacher's hungover and has brought <laughs> in brought in the rolling cart yeah. TV kind of shows. Yeah, it depends on how cool the teacher was. If they weren't cool, they'd show you Nova. If they were cool, they'd show you, like, fucking, like, heavyweights or something like that. Or Bill Nye, or, yeah. you know. Um, but, yeah, n now that I'm at the age to appreciate Nova, Nova's no longer on, which is just, yeah, it's too bad. Mm. Um, so these travels also began a lifelong hobby of collecting, but we'll come back to that later. As a young man, Oli marries Dorothy Finke, who also came from a learned family. Um, her father, Thomas Finke, was uh, also a professor at the University of Copenhagen, best known for his mathematical studies. Um, he actually in invented, innovated, whatever you want to call it, the trigonomical functions of tangent and secant. Um, an anecdote that really straddles the line of being too boring to mention. <clears throat> yeah, I mean... Oh. By the way, Alex, just real brief interjection. Uh, you're in luck. Nova's still on. All right. I should <clears throat> look into that. I don't watch PBS enough now that I'm... In my 30s and boring. <laughs> um, Oli became a very well-known scholar in several fields. Um, in the field of medicine, he was best known for two contributions. Uh, one was to the field of embryology, which is pretty much exactly what it sounds like. Uh, it's a study of the process of fertilization. I know. Hot. Yeah, um, like, yeah. ma like manure and stuff, right? No, no. See, like manure and stuff, right? No, we'll we'll have a talk after the after the show. Um, I've got some books we can look at together. I think it'll help. Also, several subreddits. Um, <laughs> oh no! So the underlying theory of uh, epigenesis dated all the way back to Aristotle, but the specific study of that biological process took off in the 17th century, where Oli Worm and a bunch of Italian scientists were at the forefront. Because Italians are horny. Mm -hmm. Oli also studied the structure of the human skull. And I'll clarify, like, in a good way, not like the calipers way. I mean, back then, that was still about the best they had. <laughs> what, was, what was that? The, was it phrenology? Yes. Is that what it was yeah. called? Yeah. yeah. The, yeah. The, <clears throat> one of the excuses that shitbags tried to, tried to use to justify slavery. Yeah, that was a very mm -hmm. uh, 1800s form of like late 1800s, early 1900s form of racism. Yeah. Um, yep. Watch but, Django Unchained. But Oli's, um, Oli's study was that he was the first to discover that some people have smaller, like for lack of a better word, extra bones that grow to fill gaps that occur naturally in the skull. Um, these bones now bear his name, the Wormian bones. So yeah. Everything named I mean, after this me. guy is, is tremendous. Yeah. 
I didn't need to know I have wormy and bones, man. <laughs> I that's that's not the thing I needed to know's in my body somewhere. I'm kind of on board with the wormy and bones. Like it sounds like if you imagine it's spelled with a Y instead of a U, it's way cooler. I guess that yeah okay that's that's fair. <clears throat> So Oli also became an expert in early Scandinavian language and was among the most prominent collectors and interpreters of, of ancient rune stones. So like Oli Worm's like an aspirational nerd, I think. Like Holy shit, dude. That cuz that's All right, you you've activated one of my special interests. Yeah, there you go. Congratulations. <laughs> like cuz like the Prosedda, the the stories that we know about Norse mythology. Mm -hmm. There, they weren't written down. Yeah, they there there was no written record of the Prosetta, and everything we have is so Christianized because the first written records were from the monks after the after the Vikings came and raped and pillaged, um, mm -hmm. and beyond that, nobody thought that these backwards ass invaders were worth studying forever and i mean mm -hmm. we're talking we're talking 400 or so years of uh you know between like 700 and and like 850 ad were were, were the the raids and then finally there they started settling in in like the the mid 800s in england and nobody cared about trying to record their religion at the time and mm -hmm. so granted this is even this is still nearly a thousand years later but somebody interested in reading and and learning about what they had yeah. as written language is super fucking cool yeah Oli warm was yeah. a tremendous contributor to that field of study mm -hmm. and at that point like being the runestone guy like the foremost runes that's like one of the yeah. most aspirational types of nerd to be it's it's cool yeah. as shit um, yeah, the king of Denmark, King Christian the Fourth, apparently felt the same way that you do. Um, because he was also very interested in this, and he took notice and wrote letters of approval regarding Oli's work. And in fact, King Christian actually wound up being so taken with Oli that he brought in Oli as his personal physician. Mm -hmm. And of note, King Christian the Fourth ruled for sixty years, which was not easy to do back then. So Whoa, Oli must have been yeah. doing something great. Yeah, um, if you didn't die of some sort of consumption, somebody fucking murdered you. Yeah. So 60 years is impressive. Yeah. Oli, uh, he existed in a rather interesting period of scientific study. It was sort of a gap period between, like, old-timey science and our more modern framework. In particular, Oli was among those who helped popularize the now-foundational concept of experimentation. And like, yes, it, that is, it is crazy to think, but... <clears throat> the very simple concept of scientists performing experiments to test their theories is actually pretty new as far as a mainstream concept goes. Yeah. Um, yeah. <clears throat> Oli's like, go ahead. The, the idea of like the fact that flies <clears throat> were born out of poo <clears throat> because nobody bothered to look <clears throat> and see that there were maggots in the poo. Yeah. Uh -huh. And and hold that thought and not not for the flies, but there's some kind of similar stuff that Oli figures out. So <clears throat> I, I can kind of I can imagine not wanting to be the first guy to perform an experiment because yeah like, I mean yeah I'm gonna put, I'm gonna put this chemical in the other chemical and if I'm right 
it'll turn pink. But if I'm wrong, it'll blow my head off, probably. Yeah. All right, let's give her a whirl. Much worse than being the guy performing the experiment, though. Being the person the experiment's being performed on. That was probably a lot harder sell. <clears throat> I think we could take... Yeah, I think we could take a kidney from one person <laughs> and put it into another person. All right. Uh, need two volunteers, please. So yeah, Oli's success with the experimental method contributed to people like John Locke making it a foundational concept a century later. But since he was innovating this method at this time, some of his findings were pretty amusing, um, especially in the area of biology. Um, there are three that really stick out to me. One was that Oli took a particular interest in birds. Um, <clears throat> Oli actually drew the only illustration of a live specimen of the great auk which was a big, stupid, flightless bird that, like many species of big, stupid, flightless bird, went extinct in the 19th century. Um, Sounds like it was not that great an auk. Yeah, listen. Sounds like it was more like a big, dumb auk. Well, it's all listen, relative, you know. Big, fat, can't fly away. <laughs> like, it, I'm sure it was delicious. <laughs> like... <clears throat> um, Look, there's a reason there aren't wild cows anymore, okay? Some things just exist to be eaten. So, uh, if, if you've ever wondered where penguins get their name, which I'm sure nobody has ever uh, wondered that, but just, just humor me here. That actually comes from the scientific name of the great auk, um, Penguinus in Penis. Um, penguins were discovered much later. I'm They're, sorry. Yeah, Penguinus Can in you... Penis. There, uh, there's, a lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of embedded phallic things here in this topic. So, also, here's a joke for like six people. Benedict Cumberbatch wonders where the name Penguin came from. I don't get that one, but I trust that it's good. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm guessing that's a is that a Sherlock reference or? So Benedict Cumberbatch did a voiceover for a like a, a nature documentary um, at one point, and he had a very hard time pronouncing the word penguin. There, there ah, were, very, there were, there were like a dozen <laughs> different variations upon the word penguin, like penguin, penguin. Mm -hmm. penguin. Like he had a very hard time with the word. Also, I'm gonna throw this out there. I just wanted to pull you, you two. Um, does anybody else like always have trouble confusing Benedict Cumberbatch and Michael Fassbender? I always have had that problem. As a very big Alien franchise and also Sherlock fan, I do not have okay. that problem. But I could see where you would run into They're it. similar guys, right? Am I wrong about yeah. that? Yeah. I, yeah. Fassbender I don't have that problem with. Although, as a fan of neither Sherlock nor Doctor Who, I, I did get him and David Tennant mixed up a lot for a while. Because I'm like, those are both British nerd things, but I don't know anything about them, so I can't tell which one is which exactly. Sorry, I'm I'm laughing at myself because of the uh, the Star Trek conversation you guys had a couple <clears throat> weeks ago. Oh yeah, and I texted you guys. Yeah. And to no one's surprise, I am also a big Star Trek guy. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> well, around that same time, um, uh, a friend of mine pitched me on watching Doctor Who, and I. <laughs> I had to I explain refuse. to her like like I, I, had, I categorically refuse. Like I I've had enough people who like things that suck tell me that it's the greatest show ever that at this point it's a point of spite. What's the point? Like like I barely have time to like keep up with my daily tasks <laughs> along with a very long list of TV shows. That's what holds me back from getting into Star Trek or Doctor Who. I don't have time for it. 
as a very very big fan of of both of those franchises i will tell you doctor who is fun there's a lot you have to get through that's not so great uh it's a lot like trying to watch like uh star trek og like the original series <clears throat> like you've got to get over some of the really really bad special effects especially in the first couple of seasons um it's fun there are some very good episodes there are some very bad episodes star trek i really think i give me give me like an hour i can come up with a list of like five episodes that you should watch of star trek that i think would make you move it up on your priority list i see i see so uh penguins um, sorry it's okay <laughs> it's okay penguins and worms yeah yeah penguins actually aren't closely related to the great auk but the auk did look like an even bigger dumber penguin um Oli encountered a great auk in his travels and was so amused by it that he just kept it as a pet and sketched a picture of it just hanging out at home that wasn't Oli's. Ding. that wasn't Oli's uh uh big bird discovery um big bird discovery were you talking about finding out that snuffleupagus isn't real Sorry, I had to. I, I didn't want to. He discovered Big Bird out there somewhere in his travels. I didn't want to. He, he found. Um, he found Jerry Judy's old tweets. <laughs> God damn, those are so funny. What if you saw that Big is Bird? Maybe the funniest Twitter thread I've ever read. What if you saw Big Bird juking in the club to Heartbroken? <laughs> what um, if you saw? Was it Big Bird and Elmo slapboxing? <laughs> what if you saw Big Bird rob an old lady? I'm just gonna have to pull this up after the show. They're so fucking good. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, his bigger bird discovery was um, so birds of paradise are the colloquial name of the family um, Paradisiidae, a family of birds found in the southern hemisphere and known for their colorful, exotic-looking plumage. The but, flamingo, I believe, is a bird of paradise. I actually don't think it is, but you're kind of on the right track. They're usually smaller. There's not one you would know maybe, off the top of your head, but they're they're actually more closely related to crows, but they're like beautiful and elegant in, instead of you know crows. Okay, they're found in like, like Australia, a macaw, maybe would be a bird yeah, of paradise. Except like different part of the world. This is like Australia and Southeast Asia. Oh, kind of that thing. Yeah. that neighborhood. Yeah. Okay. So back in Oli's time, Europeans who hadn't really studied them in person. For some reason, believe that birds of paradise don't have feet. I don't know why they thought this. I, d- I don't know how they thought birds of paradise worked, but apparently that's just what people thought. Yeah. So, Searching would have been very difficult for those birds then. They're, no wonder there are none of them around anymore. They just sit down in a branch, fall off, and die. So if you see images of birds of paradise, um, they have really long plumage. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, like, like birds do, they like tuck their their feet mm-hmm. up to fly so you couldn't i i'm i'm fairly certain you just couldn't see their feet when they were moving around right and this was the 15 1500s and 1600s so people deduce well i can't see their feet so they must not have feet yeah. because this was before like true scientific methods existed which is well, weird because catholicism we survived this far yeah it, it's weird because catholicism was just absolutely fervent at the time <laughs> mm-hmm. It just, you read some of the stuff we thought back then, and I'm like, how did we not all just fall into the ocean at some point? <laughs> um, so this one was pretty easy for Oli to dispel. Uh, he observed some birds of paradise during his travels. He sketched drawings of them, brought them back, and was like, look, feet. 
Everyone's like, okay, they got feet. <laughs> so the second one that stuck out to me, um, Oli made a rather groundbreaking discovery about lemmings. And like, we know what lemmings are, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Speaking of falling into the ocean. Yeah, little cool guys with green hair and like they follow each other uh, across the 2D screen and... <laughs> That's we're, a we're cooking um what a, what a great game lemmings was mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so there's a popular misconception even today about lemmings which is that they commit mass suicide that's not quite true. Uh, the reality is that lemmings have very strong natural urges to migrate, and they're fucking stupid, so sometimes they will drown or fall off cliffs to their doom in the process of migration. So, like, lemmings Which will think... fall off cliffs sometimes, but it's not because they are, are you know, like, uh, goth kids. It's just because they, they need to move, and they, they, they don't think rationally. See, I, I think that's funnier still, that they think they're accomplishing something. I have also seen like, that the the very famous like lemmings jumping off a cliff video from the nature documentary was fabricated and a bunch of douchebag naturalists were literally throwing lemmings off a cliff. That sounds right. <laughs> How do you look yourself in the mirror when you go home and realize that you just spent the better part of a day getting paid to chuck rodents off a cliff? Yeah. I, I think I'd follow them off the cliff at that point. Lemmings My are cute, man. They're yeah, not, they are. They're, yeah. not like, they're not like fucking sewer rats. They're not fucking gnarly. Yeah, they're like, like little gopher things. Cute. Yeah, like little no, gerbils. they're like little 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 groundhog looking type things almost. Or gophers. So, believe it or not, back in the Renaissance era, there was an even wilder misconception about lemmings. In the 1530s, a geographer named Ziegler of Strasbourg heard reports that people had witnessed lemmings falling out of the sky. In a great example of the failings of pre-experimental science, Ziegler posited that this must mean that lemmings are created not through any biological process, but by spontaneous generation. In other words, that they literally just appear from nowhere. Well, obviously... <laughs> lemmings from heaven. So, Ole conducted a scientific study of lemmings, including a full dissection. Um... Oli diagrammed and presented his findings, which were, of course, that, yeah, this is just like a normal rodent. Um, they are created the same way that every other mammal is created. Um, further added, and this was just speculation that, like, because who knows if that was even true about people seeing lemmings falling from the sky. Um, it's adorable to think about, but who knows the reality of it? Well, until it hits the ground. Yeah. Well, yeah, that part might be unpleasant. <laughs> I... I wonder, like, yeah, I wonder if it's, like, somebody who lived, like, at the bottom of a precipice of some sort, and a lemming just stupided itself off the edge of a precipice, maybe? That is a downside or to if... buying real estate at the bottom of a, a, a large cliff. You might see lemmings That's falling true. from the sky at times, but... No, I mean, I mean, Oli... Lemming insurance. Oli speculated that, like, if people really had seen lemmings fall from the sky... It was probably because lemmings are very light and maybe get picked up and carried by strong winds. Who knows? Or but predatory are... birds or, yeah. you yeah. know. Pretty much anything other than just spontaneously spawning out of nowhere. Also, the idea that, of course, because everything back then was very religious, the idea that God is just chucking rodents at you, <laughs> that's got to be a little disquieting because they're like, they don't do any. I mean, they're just lemmings. They just lemming around all the time and... 
Like, what, what, why do you keep doing this? Why do you keep dropping these things on us? Is this a favor you're doing us, or are you mad? Um, so that was the second discovery that stuck out. The third one, in the 1600s, most people still believed in the existence of unicorns and that their horns contained healing uh, properties. So Ole studied this empirically as well. And in 1638 became the first scientist to uh, go on record as claiming that unicorns actually don't exist. Um, he added that alleged unicorn horns actually came from another mysterious but very real animal, the narwhal. Now, so... So the whole unicorn thing, like a big part of their lore is that only virgins can approach them. <laughs> so I, I'm just curious. Like, Ole seems like a really cool guy. He had a wife, yeah. Okay, okay. So he had a wife. Okay, I was just so he I was probably say, fucks. Do you think? Do you think Ole fucks? Oh, this guy for sure fucks. <laughs> I, he this fucks. guy absolutely fucks. He had some children, so he's fucked at least a couple times. Okay. Also, okay. he's like, as I said earlier, he's the preeminent runestone guy of the age. Whether he had a wife or not, he was fucking. Yeah, yeah. Only virgins could approach it. So the unicorn was basically the medieval R. Kelly. Oh God. Sad Tasteless. <laughs> you knew what this show was when you turned it on, motherfuckers. I... <laughs> now, that said... Sue me. We ain't charging you anything. Now, that said, Ole did remain curious about the possible medicinal effects of narwhal horns, so he would test this out by giving his pets small amounts of poison to make them ill and then feed them the narwhal horn to try and cure them. The pets did live. I couldn't find whether he determined that that was because of the horn or whether he just it was because he didn't give them enough poison to kill them. So um, probably the only uncool thing that Oli does in this entire story uh, was. I feel like we today, as, as human beings, have a, a much closer connection to our, our animal friends than most people did in the 15 and 1600s yeah right i mean you know for example Ole saw a great auk wandering around in the fucking wilderness and just grabbed it and took it home he stole it this <laughs> <laughs> animal too this animal too stupid to not get kidnapped you know yeah based on what we know about the great auk it was probably just like okay yeah. I, mean, I i make that statement knowing full well that like animal testing is still a thing so right I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> about it now, so <clears throat> take from that what you will. But perhaps the thing that Oli Worm was best known for, however, was his cabinet of curiosities. Now, I'm not a return guy, like you know, like R E T V R N guy. Uh, I find those people detestable mm -hmm. because they're objectively detestable. Awful. But yeah. what? I'm I'm sorry. Like you, you know the people I'm talking about. It's like a. Guy? It's like a deep internet thing. Um, like, I see these guys on Twitter a lot. They're like just racist, but they're also like big history nerds. So they they, they oh. try to be like trad and shit like that. It's it's very sad. They, they, they That's gross. We should return to feud, to feudalism, basically. <laughs> but I will say I do think that we should bring back cabinets of curiosities. Yeah, cabinets of curiosities were fucking dope oh yeah holy hell yeah for and sure Oli's cabinet of curiosity was perhaps the most legendary of his era the cabinet for people who aren't familiar with this concept the cabinet was not a cabinet at all 
but rather an entire room painstakingly curated floor to ceiling with interesting or unusual items, artifacts, and objects, like little mini museums in your, in your own house. The items ran the gamut from naturally occurring to man-made. Some of the well-known items included stuffed exotic animals, rare stones and minerals, bones, ancient Roman jewelry, tribal weapons, scientific instruments, and of course, a narwhal horn. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the most discussed items was what he called a Statua Librata Pondre Mobilis, which was a small figure of a tribesman with flexible limbs that could be maneuvered by a hidden wheel to walk around the room and pick up objects. Ooh. So the point was to inspire curiosity and inquiry. That was kind of what Oli was all about. People could come over to tour the cabinet of curiosities. He would share the story behind any item that that person found interesting. And to demonstrate the value of this, um, in one notable example, it's said that Niles Stenson, the father of modern geology, may have been inspired by viewing uh, some of the items from Oli's cabinet of curiosity, in particular the rare stones and minerals. So an entire field of modern scientific study may have been thanks to this. Something that set Oli's cabinet of curiosities apart from others um, was that we know exactly what it looks like. That's because Oli himself sketched a pretty well-known engraving of it. And I do recommend looking it up because it is very cool. Um, in fact, I think I think I saw, and I, I forgot to take down the name of this artist, but in the early 2000s, an artist like took the engraving and did like a 3D rendering of what like it would look like in real life. It's very, very interesting. In the mid-17th century, um, Europe experienced a rather unfortunate event, that being the Black Plague. Yeah, that's one way to put it. That one was a bummer. Many Danish doctors doctors saw how bad this was. They said, fuck this, and they fled the country. But Ole was different. He saw it as his duty as a doctor to stick around and help treat people who became infected. As admirable as that was, uh, Oli was served a reminder of why other doctors didn't want to do this when he himself contracted the plague and died in 1654. Uh, yeah, there's really no other way that was going to end up. Uh, quick, <coughs> uh, sorry, quick interjection. Mm-hmm. Quick Google search. Uh, Rosamund Purcell yes. did an installation That's correct. of the Wormianum, Museum Wormianum. So the uh, I, it, it's fucking dope. Yeah, it, it rocks. <laughs> like I could spend all day just looking at the engraving of it and trying to figure out what everything is. The items in Oli's cabinet of curiosity were dispersed. Um, some items wound up in other collections. Others were held onto by his family. Um, unfortunately, many of the items were destroyed when the manor belonging to Oli's grandson, uh, the theologian Kristen Worm, bishop of the diocese of Zealand, so Bishop Worm. Um, burned down in the Great Copenhagen Fire of 1728. Great Copenhagen Fire of 1728, presumably started by uh, Mrs. Jensen's cow kicking over a lantern in her barn. <laughs> See, you have to know a little something about uh, uh, Danish surnames. Uh, like, a lot of people mm-hmm. in Denmark are named Jensen. That's the, the, the piece of knowledge you have to... <clears throat> anyway. So a handful of items remain in the Danish royal collection today. Um, this include a this includes a marble globe, a miniature shoe carved from a cherry stone, a gold ring, a bronze dagger, and an Icelandic drinking horn. Hence why I wore my Iceland shirt again, because we have another Icelandic reference. 
Um, An some... Icelandic drinking horn, a replica of which uh, Jack John got me for part of our gift exchange. That's right. Another fun fact about the Prozetta, the uh, stories that we get a lot of our Norse mythology from, uh, a lot of the stuff that we do have written down comes from Iceland and not Scandinavia. Interesting. Oh, huh. okay. So some of the other items um, from Worm's Cabinet of Curiosity are currently on public display at the Natural History Museum of Denmark. So if you're ever in Copenhagen and uh, need a break from getting drunk off Akvavit, that's something to check out. And uh, you have to also have to know a little something about the Danish drinking scene for that joke to work. If anybody who listens to this show is like really immersed in Danish culture, like this is the fucking segment for you. Uh, Akavit's yeah, and we apologize to everyone else. Akavit's like Jaeger light. I was going to ask, like, is, is have you had Akavit? Is it any yeah. is it any good? It's it's not as syrupy and thick as Jaeger, but it still has a very like NEC herbaly flavor. It's fine. So it's not that great, but but locals love it where it's been produced for a long time. It's basically Danish Malort. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. not that bad. Yeah. So that's the story of Oli Worm, um, an accomplished scientist, a heroic doctor, a real-life D&D character, and an all-around neat guy. So my big question to the two of you, uh, what are some items you own that would go in your own personal cabinet of curiosities? So for me, I mean, there's going to be a lot of sports memorabilia in there. Anything I have signed, obviously. Um, I think, let's see, just kind of looking around, because this is where I keep most of my weird shit. My, uh, my bust of WC Fields absolutely is going in there, because there's no reason for me to have that. Yeah, that's here. good. Um, I think also, let's see, what else do I, oh, I, my Magic 8 Buddha. I have a, uh, small statue of buddha that is also a magic eight ball i see um i think that's going in there for sure and yeah I, again you know how many knickknacks i've got the uh hear no evil see no evil speak no evil skeletons i think mm -hmm. are going in there too oh hey i have a set of those too i'm not surprised <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like something that we would we would both love i i love I, I very much love whenever I send something to you guys, because we, we do have a, a message group, especially for, from D&D and, and for this show and for other shows. I'll just send something off the wall, and like 90% of the time, you guys are like, oh yeah, of course Pookie knows what that <laughs> is, has one of those. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. We know each other pretty well by this point. Yeah. How about your cabinet of curiosities? I'm very intrigued to find this out. So, um, I was really excited about the implications of, of the question you sent hmm. because, um, Cabinet of Curiosities is a very interesting, like, even into, in, even in through, like, Victorian era, like, a very interesting, mm -hmm. like, Victorian max maximalist kind of thing, um, because it's weird and interesting and cool, um, the biggest item that I personally own, and I, I went and grabbed it real quick, uh, is a limited edition anti-hero revolution and um, Chicago distillering uh, Malort uh, collaboration. And it's like a super cool, like, like Street Fighter themed label. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's that logo's dope. Yeah, yeah. I love that. 
that's just but a, this is that's a lot of that's a lot was, of Chicago in a bottle right there. Yeah, yeah. this was Malort that was uh, rested in uh, anti-hero barrels, from what I understand, and just just for the occasion, Prost. <laughs> Pookie taking a slug, grimacing oh, a bit. You look like you've just been shot in the leg. Malort tastes That's the face bad. I said. <laughs> yeah, it's no good. <laughs> it does. We've been over this. Yeah, it's the not good. The biggest problem with Malort... This is what I've been telling people for years now. The biggest problem... Mm, this is the biggest problem with Malort. The biggest problem with Malort isn't taking the shot of Malort. It's the fact that you fucking taste Malort for the next 20 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, it stays with you for just an incredibly long time. It's like I said. It's the opposite of fruit stripe gum. It tastes yeah. terrible and it sticks around forever. So in my cabinet of curiosities, I also brought out a few items. Um, when when our when our grandfather passed away last year, um, a lot of his old neat stuff got divvied up, and so Cody and I both wound up with uh, a bunch of arrowheads um, mm-hmm. that he found during his time. Um, <laughs> one box of his old stuff. Um, somebody's random gold tooth. No idea whose, uh, but it was definitely in their mouth for a long time. So that one's going in there. Um, some uh, political trading cards that I, I think our cousin Trish gave to me that are like, uh, it's Decision 92. So it, they're like themed for the 92 elections. Such titles as uh, The Importance of the Census, um, Bush on Issues, Defense Spending, um, Republicans on abortion. They're not all amusing. Um, gay rights. Yeah, that one's really not amusing. Um, let's see. Oh, yeah, this was the really unfortunate one. Um, there's David Duke announcing his candidacy for president. Probably should have just thrown that one in the <laughs> trash. And um, my favorite, possible Perot scenarios featuring Ross Perot in a fan boat for some reason. Um, <laughs> those are very curious. Don't know why those ever existed. Um I have this that I definitely know that our cousin Trish gave me. Um, an old tequila bottle made from cowhide and cow fur. No tequila in it, unfortunately. No earthly idea why this exists or why she had it, but... Um, oh, yeah. I just thought of one more for mine. Uh, when I, I got this when I was in Mexico when we were, <clears throat> we were kids. Um, I have a legit, like, locally made um, Mayan calendar. It's really oh, cool yeah. to look at, so I'd probably it's, put that in there. Yeah. Does it end in 2012? Yes, it does, I would assume. I don't know how to read <laughs> it, but... Uh... Uh, I thought of another one as well when you mentioned the gold tooth. Um, mm-hmm. I don't own it. Uh, I'm pretty sure my mom still has it. But her dad had one of the first um, gold-plated pacemakers ever inserted oh, into a human being. I see. And And she has that. That's probably like genuinely reasons. valuable. Yeah. Yeah. Probably, yeah, but I I don't know, man. Like things keepsakes that have been inside people. Like a gold tooth is kind of weird, but that's just like the mouth. Yeah. You know, the heart like... is a whole different. <laughs> so I also have this truly one of the strangest things I own. We got from um somebody in our, in my mom's family who passed away had this and I wound up with it. It's a framed piece of very weird macabre artwork with a little poem um it's like a a grave and a skull with a shovel and the poem is entitled doctor 
and the poem goes, You're only a faker, you ignorant knave. You never saved anyone yet from the grave. When a man is your patient, he's plundered in purse, and stands a good chance for a ride in the hearse. No idea who did this or why it exists, but that's why it's going in the cabinet of curiosity. I mean, somebody thought their doctor sucked, apparently. <laughs> What's the... um, I that was before have... malpractice suits. That's all you could do. Just so, write an insulting poem. One of my favorites, uh, an incense burner <laughs> that looks like uh, you know, an old uh, uh, European guy uh, smoking a pipe and walking his dog. And last but not least, of course, my um, uh, Beavis bobblehead going in there uh -huh. so is, is salacious b crumb not going in he could go in i like having him sitting out in the uh, dining room he makes the whole place cozy i have a jawa too um and an r2d2 but so i maybe that that's a as i've said before like a here's a guy museum would be a at an aspirational goal but maybe we could settle for a cabinet of curiosities one of these days I, we just need to have more of them i love this whole concept uh Tangentially on topic, did you guys watch Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities on Netflix? That has been that has not. been on my list for a while. I've I've been looking for a new show to start now that basketball's done. I think that's what I'm gonna go with. It is it is very good. I I thoroughly enjoyed every entry. Um it's <clears> very and, and Pookie just to peel back the curtain, Pookie asked me, like, sent me a text. He's like, have you watched this yet? You would love this. So, yeah, that's why it's so high up my list. It's very much old school, like, horror anthology. Um, love it's, everything about it. Yep. It's good. Um, there are a couple of episodes that aren't as good, but still, like, fun. Like, they're all, every single one of them is at least, like, fun. Um, there's an interesting tidbit there's an episode that's very very like 80s centric okay. and at, at at one point they're drinking out of whiskey glasses and i was watching it with kelsey and i go oh hey those are the glasses that uh ridley scott hired a an artist to create whiskey glasses for blade runner and those are those glasses and she just looked at me and goes why do you know that <laughs> See, I'm not surprised that you know that. I am a little surprised that I had not heard that Ridley Scott hired an artist to make whiskey glasses for Blade Runner. Yeah. Yeah, they're pretty cool. That seems like a thing you could just get whiskey glasses for, but what the fuck do I know? <clears throat> I'm not Ridley Scott, obviously. Well, all right. What if we were right? That was a fun episode of Here's a Guy. So um, let's wrap things up. Uh, let's go around the horn and everybody can hawk their shit. Um, Cody, where can the people find you? Uh, you can find me weekly here on Here's a Guy on Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. Um, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Son of Gravy for 2069, and uh, you can find me hopefully before too awful long. Again, uh, once again, working with these two knuckleheads, Jack, John, and Kelsey, on a little Twitch channel called Here's an Adventure, and I'll let Pookie tell you more about that. Absolutely, we finally have a little bit more of a harder date uh, for the return of Here's an Adventure. Um, as, as I implied before, I have been hard at work on uh, making sure that my friends have a cool story to play in and our viewers and listeners have a cool story to listen to. Um, so yeah, hopefully hopefully in the next little while, few weeks, maybe a little more than a few weeks, um, you can catch that. You can also find me on Twitter at Pookie Rex. Um, I'm really bad at social media, so sometimes I'll tweet like every day, and sometimes you won't hear from me for 
three, four weeks at a time. Um, <laughs> I make battle maps uh, for tabletop role-playing games. Um, good for virtual tabletops. Uh, you can find those at pookie-rex.itch.io. Um, I have a website, www.pookasaurusrex.com. I haven't posted on it in a really long time, but I still technically own the domain name. Uh, I still technically have a Twitch channel. I haven't streamed in a long time. These are all <laughs> projects that have fallen to the wayside, but still technically exist. Yep. Um, you can find me on Twitch uh, at PookasaurusRex. Um, I don't know. Do I have any other projects? Probably. Uh, I think that's it, though. <laughs> I mean, not at the moment, but you can listen to the back catalog of Belchcast with, uh, with Jack. Oh, yeah! Yeah! Fuck! I hope Jack doesn't listen. <laughs> you, can, you can find me on the Belchcast. Uh, that will also be coming back soon. My co-host got his wife pregnant or some shit. I don't know. Uh, what a loser! <laughs> um, we talk about beer and nerd shit. Um, I'm really excited for that to come back. I have three beers that I've been sitting on specifically for Belchcast uh, that I'm excited to drink and talk about. Damn, um, sounds uncomfortable. Well, <laughs> maybe we, for you. We can find me on Twitter at Turpin for Prez. Um, follow the podcast account as well. It's at Here's a Guy Pod. And we have a mailbox. Uh, here's a mailbox at gmail.com. Uh, send us whatever you like. Pretty, like, 99 plus percent chance it's going to get read on the show. If I dignified a, a friend of the show, Mason's uh, email, then I'll, I'll dignify yours as well. So. <laughs> All right. Well, that uh, that about wraps things up for another uh, fun, fun episode of Here's a Guy. Um, to bring us home, Cody, do you have a tagline? I do. All right. Sounds good. Well, thank you all for being here. Uh, thank you to Pookie for joining us. Hope to have you all back again with us next week. And Cody, could you hit us with that tagline, please? They say when life gives you lemons, you should make lemonade. But as tonight proved, when life gives you lemons... Take whiskey. Bye, daddies. <laughs>